Why are pufferfish always puffed up? Have you ever seen how cute pufferfish are when they're unpuffed? Hey everyone, welcome to Nerdin' About. I'm Space Michael, and with me as always is someone who I learned recently is really digging the Swedish indie bands that she used to listen to in the 1990s. That would be Dr. Kaylee Byers. Oh hey, I don't know if they were from the 1990s. I mean, I was certainly, it was 2007 for me, because that's the year that I was living there. Uh, so I just kind of really bought all the Swedish music, and then sang along to it probably really poorly and saying almost entirely the wrong words. <laughs> so not all music is ABBA. And I think there's a metal band called In Flames. That's all the Swedish music I know. No, you know, ABBA is my dad's favorite band. And that meant that every time we went skiing and like the drive was four hours, we listened to ABBA on repeat. And I have to admit they're great music and I cannot stand listening to it. It really, <laughs> I'm sure at one point I'll come back to it, but right now it's a, uh, it's a struggle. Okay. All right. Actually, you know, what's funny? My favorite candy, Swedish fish. And today we're talking about fish. Nice. Today we're joined by Amy Leo and they are a master's student at the University of British Columbia and a self-proclaimed pufferfish enthusiast. Hi, Amy. How are you? Hi there, Kaylee. Hey, Michael. I'm pretty good. It's the day after my birthday and I'm ready to rock and roll. Well, we'll get right into it now also. I mean, on theme for the day after your birthday. So, Amy, can you tell us a little bit about your passion for things that live in the ocean and uh, how that led to what you're doing now? Yeah, for sure. So I feel like I'm, I was kind of a lucky kid in the way that I was always fascinated with the underwater world. And I just kind of continued to pursue that interest. And I think it's because I really enjoyed fantasy as a genre as a kid. So lots of fantasy <laughs> TV shows, lots of fantasy books. And you know, the ocean is this fantasy world that exists in real life. And same with astronomy, really. That's why I always really liked astronomy as well. Mm -hmm. But the underwater world is so fascinating, not just oceans, but also, you know, like freshwater lakes and all that good stuff. And so I, I knew I liked science and I just stuck through this passion through uh, undergrad. I attended a lot of field semesters focusing on marine biology and ecology, places like Bamfield Marine Science Center. So shout out to one of my favorite places. And it just felt natural to focus my research on fish. And I will I will point out in a lot of science fiction portrayal, a lot of like what's in space seems to be very human, but you're right Amy, a lot of what's portrayed under the sea seems to be from my standpoint the most foreign and weird. I think it, it does actually lend itself more to sort of like this fantastical world because we don't fully understand what's going on down there, so I can really see where your interest and passion lies. So Amy, you're enthralled with the the ocean and really into studying fish. So can you tell us a little bit about the fish that you're working on and what it is you're doing? Yeah, of course. So my research is on a group of fish in uh, North America, mostly Western North America. So where we are in Vancouver, this group of fish is called uh, the Arctic chart complex. Uh, and the three fish that kind of we focus on mainly are Arctic char, bull trout, and Dolly Varden. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> 
Tell us, tell us about this. What is Dolly Varden? Yeah, Dolly Varden, not Dolly Parton. So, so Dolly Varden is a, the name of a fish, and it's also the name of a character in a Charles Dickens novel called Barnaby Rudge. And it's also a kind of style of dress. So the pattern on a Dolly Varden trout looked like the pattern on the Dolly Varden dress, and so they thought it was an appropriate name. That sounds magical, and I don't wear dresses often, but I might wear one that inspired the name of a fish. That's all I can say. So what what's uh, what's special about this Arctic char complex? Yeah. So um, so real quickly, if, for people who might not know about what char are, they they belong to a group of fish, uh, the, the genus Salvolinus, and they're really re- closely related to salmon and other trout. This group of fish is important to study because they are they help us understand lots of questions about evolution, ecology, and biodiversity. There are entire conferences just focusing on Arctic char and their related fish. They're game fish. Uh, they're food for us to eat. They have lots of different life histories. They're very, very diverse. And so it's important to kind of um, study them for questions about evolution and also monitor their populations for conservation efforts as well. Very cool. And what what tools do you use to do that? There are lots of different tools for answering questions about Arctic char. The tools that I use um, are mainly looking at their genetics. So I look at their DNA, particularly their genes which means all of the DNA in the fish. And what I look at is the specific differences in their DNA that can tell apart species. So these group of fish, they can look very, very similar. And they also tend to interbreed and hybridize. So it can be very hard to tell apart what they look like. So if you look at the right areas in their DNA, the right locations, um, you can see that only Arctic char have this kind of this DNA base pair and then Dolly Varden have another DNA base pair. And if you can just find those differences, you're able to correctly identify which species the fish belongs to. So Amy, what have like have you made any discoveries? Obviously you said that a lot of these char are they seem very similar on the surface and now you're digging in uh, into their DNA. What have you found so far? Perhaps some su- surprising results and ultimately what are you trying to figure out with these with these uh, studies. The first part of my research is to create this molecular tool to be able to tell apart these three species. And as as far as discoveries goes, I think just finding these uh, fixed differences in their DNA that can tell them apart, it's kind of straightforward. There's not not lots of like kind of surprises that you do. It's more like uh, look in their DNA, find these fixed differences. And then you basically create this molecular tool to find them, and then you can use this. What I what I think is actually kind of interesting is that is the importance of this tool. And an example that I'll use is that there was a project where they made this reference genome of um, Arctic char, uh, and a reference genome is basically all of the DNA of a certain species that um, you compare the DNA of the same species to. So for example, the the human genome, right? We've probably heard about that one. So this is the Arctic char genome, and they have made these genomes for lots of different animals and plants. So the Arctic char genome was made from a lot of different fishes that they were given and said that these are all Arctic char, but it turned out they were actually, some of them were Dolly Varden and some of them were Arctic char. So in the end, they had to change the name of the Arctic char reference genome into just, this is a char reference genome. What's interesting is that I used, uh, I tested some of my um, molecular tools against those fish that they used in that project. And we were able to see that they were indeed hybrids or they, these were um, Dolly Varden and not completely Arctic char. 
So we have, let's say we have a molecular tool. We're able to look at these fish and be like, char, mm-hmm. Dolly Varden, mm-hmm. Dolly Parton, like pull them all <laughs> apart. Um, what does that, why is that helpful? Well, we use the example of, um, you know, having correct reference genomes. So there's th- that example. This way you can have the correct species for reference genomes. But it's really, really useful to tell apart species. I mean, not only for research, so you know what you're actually dealing with, but also for conservation, because depending on these species, you can have different designations, you have different policies protecting these species. And if, without the right identification, it's even hard to tell how many numbers of the fish that you have when you're doing population assessments. So you have a lake and you know that there's 500 fish. It's completely different if there were 500 Arctic char or 200 Arctic char and 300 Dolly Varden, for example. So species identification is super important, I think, for lots of different reasons, but specifically for research and conservation. One more question. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite of that complex? Oh, okay. Um, So originally I thought Arctic char were pretty cool. But then I think I think Dolly Varden are just they're they're super cool. I I am an, also an artist and I draw these uh, fish quite a bit. And I found that the Dolly Varden is really one of the prettiest fish because of just the beautiful green and red color. And also they have such an interesting life history in where sometimes there's this particular watershed in Alaska called Chignik Lake Watershed, where sometimes depending on their age, uh, they won't go out into the ocean. So when they're young, these fish will go out into the ocean and come back and then they'll go out into the ocean again. But sometimes when they get old enough, they'll actually just stay there because they're large enough. And so they can have this like choice of staying or leaving. And I thought that was really interesting. Do you think they all sing, should I stay or should I go? (laughs) Or they take off? So Amy, speaking of really cool looking fish, let's get into pufferfish. You're a self-proclaimed pufferfish nerd, enthusiast. Looking up some pictures before we started, you know, these things look straight out of Pokemon. Like, what are pufferfish? If you could uh, explain to me a fish newbie. Yeah, so I say I'm a self-proclaimed pufferfish enthusiast or nerd because I, I don't formally study pufferfish, but they're just so fascinating and I love them. I love talking to people about them. Uh, So what are they? Well, they are a group of fish and they're separated into two groups of pufferfish, as people tend to know. There are the smooth puffers and then there are the spiny puffers. Uh, Using scientific names, the smooth puffers are tetraodontidae and the spiny puffers are diodontidae. And the difference is that smooth puffers, they're generally more smooth. They don't have the spines and they have four teeth, kind of like um, I think of hamsters. So two on the top and two on the bottom. And they can, they're they're big teeth. They can bite through um, clam shells and snail shells and they can even bite off people's fingers. Like I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) Oh my. (laughs) Or... For diodon today, so the spiny puffers, they have two teeth, so one on the top and one on the bottom. Um, so they are they are different, but they both puff up. They both look very similar. They both have the poison, and they are adorable. I know you probably think that they look like Pokemon because they just look. You you search them up on Google, and every one of them is puffed up. But you should get to see an unpuffed puffer fish sometimes. They are so cute. Actually, aren't boxfish also related? Are boxfish related to pufferfish? Boxfish are related to pufferfish. They all belong to this big group of fish called 
Tetraodontiformes, which is very similar to Tetraodon today. And this group includes boxfish, filefish, triggerfish, cowfish, filefish, and mola mola. They're a wonderful group of weird fish. Well, let's let's get into the puffiness uh, of these fish, Amy. Like, what is going on? Why are they puffing? Like, when I first looked at them, I was like, do are they always like that? But now you've just explained that they, they can be puffed and they can be unpuffed. So what exactly is going on here with this uh, puff sequence? <laughs> so what happens with these puffer fish and, you know, why they're called puffer fish, both these smooth and spiny puffers, is that they have this unique ability to inflate Uh, like a balloon. But what they do is that they take in water through their very, very elastic stomachs. And so what happens is that they they take in the water, their stomachs expand, uh, their whole body kind of expand along with them. So their spines can bend. They basically become this big ball. And if they have any spines, um, whether if they're small or large, they kind of stick out like like a mace. And it it makes it very hard for predators to eat or swallow them, or even if they were eaten. Um, there's this very gruesome picture of uh, a puffer fish, a porcupine fish, so a spiny puffer that was stuck and lodged inside of a shark's throat as the shark was trying to swallow oh, cool. it. The puffer fish kind of expanded and then... Did it escape? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, it was kind of this like very... It, it's it, it's very metal, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's that elastic stomach that can just like inflate all of them. And then when these puffer feel like they're out of danger, they will just spit out the water again and be on their way as normal fish. I'm just like picturing like a bunch of badass puffer fish, you know, it's like swimming around and all of a sudden, you know, some bad sharks come around like, all right, fish, let's puff, you know, and they just expand out and just like looking super tough, you know, with their big puffy bodies. Their little leather jackets with the studs on them. (laughs) They are so cool. Earlier, you mentioned also the poison. And I remember this brought me back to like watching The Simpsons. I, I think one of the earlier seasons and there's this episode episode where Homer <laughs> orders pufferfish and is then told that it wasn't cut properly and he's consumed this poison and he has 24 hours to live. Is that is that on the money? Is is it like 24 hours? Is it really quick? Or is it a longer process? Are they really poisonous? What's going on? So pufferfish are super poisonous. They are one of like the most poisonous animals on the planet, especially animals that have a backbone, so vertebrates. They have this poison called tetrodotoxin, which is this kind of neurotoxin that is produced in their uh, liver, their skin, and their um, gonads. It's produced by this bacteria and it, it's really, really um, lethal, even in tiny amounts of doses. So I don't know how much Homer consumed. Oh, the whole thing. Well, you need. Um, I, I think. I think it's like it, it's very, very a very small amount, and so that that is lethal to a human adult. So if it was a whole puffer fish, then Homer wouldn't have had twenty four hours to live. It would have probably been like minutes because the tetrodotoxin just acts super fast. And what it does is that it stops like signals from your brain um, going to your muscles. So what happens is that you might feel like your lips starting to feel numb and tingly, and then you can't move your your arms and legs. And then, you know, because your lungs and your hearts are also muscles that are beating with signals from your brain, they'll stop too. And that's what ends up happening. 
gosh, that actually just reminded me of this time I ate shellfish. My mouth and tongue went all tingly and I was with a friend. And I was like, if this gets worse, get the phone ready <laughs> because this is something, something's going on. So, okay. But that makes sense. So if it's in the skin, the liver you said, and the gonads, then that's why mm-hmm. cutting the puffer fish very specifically would be very important to not consume poison. Like you wouldn't want to get any skin, any liver, any gonads. It, it's super important to be a trained chef when you're cutting these puffer fish. Like there are um, entire schools probably or diplomas dedicated to cutting these fish to serve to the public. And back in the days, they used to serve puffer fish for like the emperor of Japan because it was just considered a delicacy. Oh. Um, but what's really interesting is that a tiny, tiny amount of the dose of tetrodotoxin can actually make the fish taste better so the they say that the most delicious parts of the fish is the liver which also happens to be one of the most poisonous so take of that how you will this is just classic people you know (laughs) just living on the edge I just wanted to say tetrodotoxin is also very useful, again, in very, very tiny doses to also be like a muscle relaxant. So it's been used in medicine. So it's not just a terrible poison. So Amy, these are the truly the most metal fish in the ocean. (laughs) I've been convinced of that. So besides like the puffiness, besides the venom, what are what really attracts buffer fish to you? Like, why why do you think that they're so cool? And maybe give us some uh, some unknown uh, facts uh, about them. I'm really happy you asked this question, Michael, because most people know about the fact that puffer fish are very metal. They're very, you know, they're poisonous and that they puff up. Uh, most people know that about puffer fish, I think, or at least that's what I read in aquarium signs all the time. But I, what I don't think is advertised enough is that puffer fish are really, really smart and charismatic. Like metalheads. <laughs> <laughs> I um I found this out actually kind of completely on accident when I um when I was in high school I volunteered for the Vancouver Aquarium as like a work experience student and they had this really big pufferfish back in the days and I remember it was kind of like love at first sight and I think that's kind of what started all this where I just met this fish it was it was kind of it was big and it had big eyes and it had these soft lips that would it would press its lips up against the, the the window glass whenever I came over and I was just like oh hello hello how are you doing <laughs> and it I just kind of was really fascinated by how like just charismatic it was and the more I talk to people about people who own puffer fish they just tell me that they're like little water puppies they're they they recognize their owners they're they beg for food they will spit out water when you're trying to feed them and they are just so full of personality there are videos where you can train a puffer fish to recognize certain symbols or colors so that they can be fed independently of the other fish in the aquarium so so at the at the Vancouver aquarium for example they lower a little box and then the puffer fish will swim in they'll drop the clams in the box and then the puffer fish will eat the clams and then it'll swim out and in other aquariums, they use like little paddles for, so I think this was the New England Aquarium where they use different paddles, each containing a different symbol. And then the three different puffer fish in the tank will go to the, a different symbol to be fed. That is super duper cool. But I, I, so, okay, I know that we're ending on intelligence and that's what I should appreciate, but I can't get the fish with its luscious <laughs> lips out of my head. 
<laughs> and and now immediately I want to have a pet pufferfish and name it name it Dave Mustaine, James Hetfield, <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne. You know they're just sweet and charismatic. You know uh, even though if they have like a really hard uh, spiny exterior. I have to warn you though, Michael, um, as someone who has also worked in. Um, a pet store, an aquarium store. Pufferfish are not easy pets, and I would not recommend them for people who are beginners to fish keeping. If you're a beginner fish keeper, please stick to betta fish and guppies. But pufferfish are definitely um, kind of like intermediate to advanced fish because they are very, very sensitive. Also, they can be bullies to your other fish. So if you stick them, even the tiny little puffers, if you stick them with other fish, they can they can beat them up. <laughs> Should we get to some audience questions? Oh, yeah. We've got actually quite a few cool pufferfish questions. So let's get over there. Why is the sky? What's at the center of a black hole? When we evolve, does anyone have free will? Why is like carbon the fastest thing on earth? Why do we keep pets? It's time for listener questions. All right. If you want to get in on our audience questions, you can... Reach us on our socials at NerdNightYVR, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We post them there. Our first one comes in from Nicole, who asks, is there anything that bothers you about how pufferfish are portrayed in the media? Why are pufferfish always puffed up? (laughs) Have you ever seen how cute pufferfish are when they're unpuffed? (laughs) Why is it that when you search, you do a Google search, they're just always, they look like they're terrified, their big eyes are popped out, they're always just full ballooned. And I, I don't blame people because that's you know how that's how they're so unique. But please look up what an unpuffed pufferfish looks like. They are just, you know, that's how you see their little cute lips. That's how you <laughs> see their little smiles. They are so adorable. Well, and I guess that also means like a lot of people are taking pictures of some stressed out fish. Yes, that's true. So I, I know that there's another audience question, which is, is it harmful for pufferfish to puff up? And uh, the the answer is yes and no, but mainly it is stressful for a pufferfish to puff up because that's kind of like their defense mechanism. That's what they do when they're in when they're really stressed out. So some people will take out a pufferfish from the water and being a fish and it can't breathe, it'll try and, and and puff up or get away. And so that's a very, very stressful response. Something that I kind of relate to like a human fainting. Like sometimes we get really anxious or stressed and suddenly we'll just faint. Mm-hmm. And so it's not really good to uh, for puffer fish to puff up. And I know this because, you know, working with live fish sometimes and you have customers or guests who come over and they're like, oh, puff up, puff up and stuff. But it's not a, a good thing for the animal. And so I, I just really liked, I really like unpuffed puffer fish because they're cute and, you know, they're not stressed out. But funny thing is that Pufferfish can also puff up on their own. So aquarium owners who keep pufferfish, they they will sometimes puff up on their own and it's really funny and they take a video of it. Um, but that's just the pufferfish just doing their thing. And it, as long as they're not stressed in that way, that that's totally fine for the fish to puff up on their own. Just practicing, just making sure they still got it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, we have a, another question um, and this is from Tim who asked, are there other species of fish that puff? I can't actually think of um, other fish that kind of puff up in the same way. I can think of fish that like, like, you know, actually, I think of a lizard when they have their frills out or, you know, mm. making their fins really big and, and stuff like that. But within the group of um, tetraodontiformes, so that big, 
big group of pufferfish, so like mola mola and boxfish and stuff, there's one fish called the tri-toothed pufferfish. And it, it's not really a pufferfish. Um, so we talked about smooth and spiny pufferfish. Smooth are four-toothed puffers, and then there's two-toothed puffers, and then there's this three-toothed puffers. And they're really, they're unique, and they're very strange and they're very rare instead of being able to puff up by sucking in water to inflate they have this sack like on the bottom of their body and that's how they use it to inflate they have so it's this normal fish and then it just has this like sack kind of trailing below it (laughs) and so it inhales and then that sack expands and it puffs but so that's what i can think of but it's not you know it's still in that group of puffer fish and friends i think i'd be nervous to have like a dangly sack (laughs) that anything could come along and nip at you know it just seems like a hazard uh well yes yes (laughs) that's all i'll say about that (laughs) our last question comes in from armin who asks are there any species named after mrs puff from SpongeBob SquarePants. I love that question because it seems like, you know, it seems like, um, uh, well, her name is Mrs. Puff, right? It's not, I don't know if she has a first or last name. Uh, so in a way, all pufferfish are Mrs. or Mr. or Miss Puff. Interpret interpret that question with how, how you will. There might be Dr. Puffs. There might be just all sorts of different puffs. So in a way, yes. And in a way, no. <laughs> I would like Mrs. Puff to get up to Dr. Puff. That would be delightful. <laughs> she enrolls in whatever university they have in Bikini Bottom. Bikini Bottom U. You know, that's the whole reason I got a doctorate, actually, is so that when a service provider asked me if they could call me Miss or Mrs., I could say, actually, doctor, thank you so much. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Uh, should we nerd out? Oh, yes, please. What you about? What you about? All right, if you want to get on the Nerd Outs, then once again, hit us up on our socials at NerdNightYVR. And our first one came in from Daniel, who is nerding out about sleight of hand in general and card magic. Uh, Amy, have you ever given your hand to uh, some magic tricks? What bit of sleight of fin do we think a a pufferfish would get into? (laughs) You know, the funny thing about pufferfish is that they're, they're actually really slow swimmers. And they are not the strongest swimmers. They they sl- swim quite slowly. They they kind of rotate in the water. Their little fins are just like oh. beating like that. And they don't swim very fast. There's even this video of a, a pufferfish uh, two that were caught in this vortex of swirling water that they couldn't like come out of. So they were just like swirling in the water column oh. because they were they were not very fast swimmers. So I don't think that pufferfish will w- would be very good at sleight of fins. <laughs> magic trick. They just have the cards in front of them and then they just like inhale them really quickly when they puffed up and be like, mm. <laughs> uh, Amy, what about you? What have you been nerding out about recently? Can I talk about something that's related with fish? Uh, you must. Yes. So a, a bit of preface to this, which is that I remember in university that one of my professors told me that one of the reasons that fisheries and fish are kind of hard to connect to is because we don't often see them, right? We see, you know, cats and dogs and birds and other lovely animals, but for fish, we don't really interact with them unless they're in an aquarium. And so it can be hard to care about an animal that we don't 
tend to interact with or see on the daily. But there is this lovely project called Coral City Camera, which is a live stream of a man-made coral reef in Florida where they just live stream these videos of this coral reef and they have these fish that come that spend their time around the area. So it's kind of like a real life bikini bottom. Let me just tell you about some of my favorite inhabitants. There's actually a group of checkered puffer fish that make their ways around the the Coral City and they have been dubbed the the uh, a huffle of puffle a puffer gang or so you will <laughs> and there are there are box fish there are trunk fish there are barracudas there's octopus octopuses and my favorite resident is not a puffer fish there's a parrot fish called ramon and he sleeps he tends to nap and there are some videos of just this little fish on the on the substrate on the ground, kind of just relaxing and hovering back and forth, and it's just napping. And we like to chat about what this parrotfish could be dreaming about. I, I love it. It's they post their videos almost daily, and it's just this beautiful, vibrant coral reef and all the different fish that inhabit it. It's very lovely. Yeah, Huffle of Pufferfish uh, certainly doesn't sound very metal, but I mean, <laughs> you know, I can certainly, it's a very relaxing vibe, you know, if, if you came in encountered with a, a Huffle. I don't know. If you heard them scream, Huffle of Puffle, I think you'd find it pretty metal. <laughs> what about you, Michael? What are you nerding about? Well, I thought I'd uh, give an update to my Buffy watching as uh, we've been doing. Mm-hmm. And I finally finished season three. So in previous episode, you and Travis nerded out about uh, Amy the Rat. Uh, so I had to catch up on a bunch of season three stuff. So here's some notes from season three. Loved it. Great season. So my favorite season overall so far of the first three. First thing, Trick Dies was not happy about Trick Dying. Basically the only black character and he was really cool. He was like this rogue vampire that was just like very a different kind of vampire character that I have uh, seen portrayed. But of course that really sets up the Faith uh, Buffy scenario. Uh, And I do have to say that relationship was really cool. Very satisfying resolution to that storyline. Buffy Angel, like I'm so sick and tired of them breaking up and getting back together. Like just, I mean, I just don't care. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like I'm definitely not on team angel. I was, I I was happy with him being evil angel. You know, he was kind of, Oh yeah. Evil, evil angel is an excellent character. (laughs) Evil angel is, Evil Angel gets to you. Yeah. Well, and speaking of, of fantastic characters, maybe my favorite new one was the mayor. Just an amazing, you know, weird, goofy villain. Really great choice uh, to create that character, the mayor. Really setting up the whole graduation day, the final two episodes of the season, final two episodes of them in high school. You know, the, I, assuming the show really changes after this. So it really builds up to this culmination, of course, the metaphor of being in high school. School. It's hell. <laughs> uh, this pandemic has really helps fill that 90s void that was in my life. So uh, what about you, Kaylee? What have you been nerding out about? Well, you were reminding me about our, our Buffy Star Trek watch. And you actually started watching Buffy well before I started watching Star Trek. So I don't know what this is going to say about you. <laughs> and I don't know what it's going to say about me. But <laughs> your favorite show is TNG. So I was watching yeah. The Next Generation. And I actually just finished it last week. So wow, <laughs> I know our 
our journeys are similar. They're both seven seasons long. There's about the same number of episodes and I have far (laughs) surpassed you. I'm a slow burn. Yeah. I'm a dedicated binger, but I really liked it. And actually I love this, the series finale. And I had a lot of emotions. And as it was coming to an end, I'm like, what am I going to do with my time? Which apparently I spend a lot of watching Star Trek. And then I was like, oh, thanks, science, for Deep Space Nine. So I am into (laughs) Deep Space Nine. Yes. And actually, you know what? I was really excited. The very first episode, I'm going to, unlike Michael, I'm not going to give you all the spoilers. But um, what I will say is that in Star Trek, they introduce a character that uh, was very interesting to me. It's um, a species called the Trill, which Mm -hmm. is essentially a symbiotic species. So they have a symbiont that lives inside of a host. And that symbiont will change hosts whenever that host gets older, that host becomes ill. And I really love that idea because I love parasites. (laughs) They're like my favorite thing. I think they're so interesting. One of the characters in Deep Space Nine is is a trill. And so instantly love that. And mm-hmm. you you meet this character, Dax, and Dax is in this uh, show, a 28-year-old woman, and was previously an old man. And I am very much looking forward to seeing how all the dynamics change and learning about her life when yeah, she was in a she was in a different host. And like it brings up questions about like, is this is this a new person now that you've got this melding of identities? And all of that I just find really interesting. So I think I'm I'm really appreciating Star Trek for tackling some interesting storylines. So I'm really excited about Dax. I'm like team Dax right now. Oh, absolutely. There's a great meme. I don't know if you've gotten to the episode yet. It's not going to spoil anything, but it's when this really old battle-worn Klingon, you know, learns about Dax and then Dax, you know, explains, well, you know, I used to be a man. And then the Klingon sort of like looks very confused and then immediately like, oh, okay, I accept that. And it's like, if this old Klingon can accept that Dax used to be a man, then so can all of the rest of humanity as well. (laughs) I think I might actually be in that episode right now. So I think you just spoiled it for me. I think I started it yesterday. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Well, it's, I don't think it spoils anything. It's a great moment. Amy, thank you so much for nerding out with us about your love of all of the Pokemon that live under the sea, all of the metal things that live under the sea, Pufferfish and Arctic Char and Dolly Parton, Dolly Varton, sorry. Where can more people learn about you and your work? I've been trying to set up an art Instagram for a lot of the uh, art that I do on um, different fishes and just different things, but that's not up yet. Oh, I just picked up my phone to follow you. (laughs) So I'll just put it back down. You know what? I will let you know immediately when I do make it, but um, uh, because things are so busy right now, but I do have a Twitter handle um, that is at Tetreodontides. I was able to get (laughs) that handle. Uh, That's T-E-T-R-A-O-D-O-N-T-I-D-A-E-S. But you can look me up. Um, I am Amy Jubejube with a little puffer fishy emoji um, after the name. So uh, that is where I am on social media. And if there's anything else uh, where I where you can find more about me, I will post it on there. Well, thank you so much. I already follow you. I think everybody should get over there and go over there and follow Amy. Thank you so much for spending time with us. This was an absolute delight. I learned some extra things about fish and some extra things about pufferfish, which was delightful. And uh, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you'd like to hear more from us, you can follow us on our socials at NerdNightYVR. You can like and subscribe to this podcast, and that sort of helps us reach new folks. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until we meet again, puff, 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 puff it up. (laughs) 